This is a Rooster Teeth production. Some of history's biggest hoaxes, pun intended, involve archaeological fraudsters faking discoveries of giant bones. We investigate why on 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we cover topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. Sometimes we explore the unknown and debunk conspiracy theories. Other times we dive into history to gain a new perspective on today. I'm Elise Willems. I'm Jessica Vasami. Tackling the contents of today's episode is quite the tall order. Literally, because we are talking <laughs> about giants. Okay, let's get the obvious ones out of the way here. All right, you Jack and the Beanstalk Giants, your Attack on Titans, your Shreks. Is, te- is Shrek technically a giant, Jess? I mean, he's he's big, mostly from all the layers. Oh, yeah. He's got <laughs> a lot of layers. Have layers. Yep. I mean, yeah, he's a big guy. Yeah. But first, we're dialing our investigation back in time and taking a look at classical cultures and texts to see how the myths of giants first took shape. Which I love this stuff, especially Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. Love it. Then we are exposing and debunking the modern day hoaxes wherein archaeological frauds have made wild attempts to try and fake giant bones being discovered and unearthed. (laughs) It's crazy. It's crazy. It it literally is. And the pictures are, they're fun to look at, I will say. Yeah. Oh, it's Um, a blast. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely a blast. But it's also like, I don't know. And then finally, we'll talk about gigantism um, as it actually occurs as a medical anomaly. Yeah. But first up on our tour of giants, we're going to tackle the mythology and folklore. And that is uh, from the Greeks. The Greeks. Those Greeks. We know about them. According to the ancient Greeks, giants were the children of gods Uranus and Gaia, who really shouldn't have been having children anyway, because they clearly had some very intense relationship issues. Yeah, they definitely needed some couples therapy, (laughs) especially uh, because the first act upon having children was to shut them away. Uranus, he feared their offspring, the Titans, so much, thinking that they would eventually become too powerful. So he imprisoned them in Gaia's womb, preventing them from entering the world. I don't know how he did this. It's just like, cross your legs. <laughs> I, it's, a good, it's a good point. It's a good question. Um, yeah. yeah. And it also sounds extremely uncomfortable. Um, Mm -hmm. Not fun, but not surprisingly, Gaia was enraged and convinced her son Cronus, one of the Titans, to attack Uranus. Yes. And you might be wondering, how did Cronus attack Uranus if he was imprisoned inside Gaia? Well, well, big well. When uh, big well, giant well, (laughs) giant well, Uh, when Gaia and Uranus were getting it on, so to speak, uh, Cronus attacked his father, castrating him. The ultimate sucker punch there. Uh, Consequently, the Titans were unleashed upon the world, bringing havoc. Things get even wilder here because as Uranus's blood spilled upon the earth, it caused other giants to form and be created. These giants were known as gigantes. Yeah, and this word, it's it's spelled G-I-G-A-N-T-E-S, mm-hmm. which I think we're kind of going with the Greek pronunciation here. Mm-hmm. The biggest of the gigantes was Alcyoneus, Uh, immortal only when on his native soil, which is interesting because to kill him, Heracles had to, he fought and then subdued Alcyonus and then dragged him out of his lands. So that way he was on foreign soil and could die. Yes. Did I say it wrong? Well, I'm just highlighting anus. (laughs) 
listeners, I lo- I'm looking in our document and I see Jessica go through and hi- highlighting the phonetic pronunciation of of Alcyonus, you know, and um, I see, oh, she's highlighted that A dash N U S right there. Is she trying to tell me something? Am I off here? No, it's just uh, it's just the word anus. I just felt like I should bring it to your attention. God. Anyway, I w- you should have been imprisoned <laughs> inside a uterus. No, oh my God, you know I bust out of there. Oh, I bust right out of there. <laughs> um, oh. But really, all of Gaia and Uranus's kids were bloodthirsty, battle-hungry warriors, incredibly powerful, with a pure disdain for Olympian gods. Yeah, in Greek mythology, there's this like ongoing battle between the gods and the giants, and it's interpreted a few different ways by modern scholars, but it's thought to mainly represent the distinct battle between order and civilization, the gods, prevailing over chaos and barbarism, the giants. The Greeks also used the stories of giants to explain their regular earthquakes. Uh, According to lore, after being defeated by the gods, the giants were buried underground, a few under Mount Vesuvius especially. I think Alcyanus might have been under Mount Vesuvius. (laughs) That makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah. (laughs) I think one of the the fissures in the ground spewing up hot air may have been, you know what? Yep. Yep. Coming from you know what? Mm Mm-hmm. So all that earth shaking is giant corpses essentially rolling over in their graves, which to me is a much, much more fun explanation than tectonic plate theory. It really, it really is. (laughs) I wish that was it, right? Um, Although a a well-known giant, um, another well-known giant from Greek mythology is the Cyclops, the one-eyed giant that ate Odysseus's men for dinner. Odysseus, though, managed to escape by piercing the Cyclops in the eye, blinding him. We've all heard that one, right? Mm-hmm. And then like ancient Greek mythology, Norse mythology pits its gods against a powerful species of giants called Jotnar. Uh, the word Jotun comes from the Proto-Germanic word meaning devourer. And uh, one of my favorite books of the last few years was Norse mythology from Neil Gaiman, which is just all these fun stories and his interpretations and reimaginings of Norse mythology. So cool. Oh, hell so, yeah. And there's definitely there's stories of giants in that, ice giants like you're about to talk about, Jess. Yep. The Norse even conceived of classes of giants ranging from fire giants to ice giants to mountain giants. And like the Gigantes, the Viking giants were representative of chaos and opposed to the gods. Eventually, the giants would play their role in Ragnarok, marching on Asgard in Midgard to overthrow them. Mythology is so cool. It's so cool. I mean, uh, gets you pumped. (laughs) But we know, I mean, Hemsworth... Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, now we think about it all in the context of the Marvel universe, Mm -hmm. Thor and all Mm -hmm. that. Uh, But still. It's fun, though. Yeah. Um, And then giants have also made notable appearances in religious texts and allegories. Uh, Maybe not as fun or depending on what you're into. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So like like in the story of David and Goliath in the Bible, Goliath was the massive champion of the Philistines and David was the only guy capable of stopping his wrecking streaks. That would be like the kind of movie tagline like, you know. The champion of the Philistines versus the only man capable of stopping him. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, the only one that can do it, for sure. Mm -hmm. It's one of the more well-known pieces of scripture and serves as a classical underdog allegory for courage in the face of insurmountable odds. 
There are other giants mentioned in Genesis and the Hebrew Bible. The word Nephilim pops up here and there, kind of describing a race of creatures that were strong and large in stature and were supposed to be the offspring of fallen angels that had procreated with human women, probably not, uh, you know, sullied women. Yeah, no, yeah. But also, <laughs> yeah, of course. it's confusing because angels aren't supposed to procreate. I didn't know they could. Well, but, I guess it's it's kind of like leaving the priesthood, Jess. You know, uh, once you fall from once you fall from heaven, you're like, <laughs> okay, all right, makes you know? sense, makes sense, debaucherous. Um, giants also appear in allegorical texts and traditions all around the world. And um, Hike, which is the legendary founder of Armenia, was said to be extremely large and strong, and helped construct the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. In Bulgarian creation myth, there are three generations said to have inhabited the earth. The first was apparently dwarves, the second giants, and the third are current human species. I love this because it's kind of Lord of the Rings-ish. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. it is. Oh, According to the myth, the dwarves failed to thrive and died out, unfortunately. So God then created the giants called the Espelini. Standing almost 10 feet tall, sometimes described as having three heads and one eye, the Ispellini are a bit reminiscent of the Greek Cyclops. Yeah, and kind of the greatest enemy and the downfall of the Ispellini was themselves because they were so big and couldn't really see around them as they moved. And so <laughs> blackberry bushes were apparently like a big problem for them. Legend has it the Ispellini would get tripped up in the bushes and stuck in the thorns and die. Like, oh it's the kind of thing where you need a medical alert bracelet for. I, no, I know. <laughs> like, I just hit a blackberry bush. I'm down. Like, that's help, help. Such an innocent thing. Yeah. Maybe that's, maybe that's mm-hmm. why God once again decided the Ispellini couldn't hack it and should pack it in. Yeah. Um, one of the more known giants of Hindu lore is Kumbakuran, a demonic being giant in size and appetite. This one sounds terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kumbakaran was cursed to sleep for six months at a time. The only way to subdue him, he'd wake up for a day, cause trouble, then go back to sleep, which sounds incredible. Oh, I know. Right, right. You'd wake up for a day, cause just chaos and then go to bed. Yeah. And But apparently, I mean, there's lots of great stories about him. Apparently his brother woke him up early so he would fight for him because he knew that if he woke him up, he'd be all uh, grumpy and he'd cause all kinds of chaos. Uh-huh. So interesting. I um, uh, and of course, like Americans have their own folk tale hero, Paul Bunyan, a lumberjack towering at seven feet tall. The story goes that five storks had to deliver baby Paul to his parents because he weighed 100 pounds <laughs> at birth. Jess, I wear like 100 pounds. <laughs> yeah, that's a heavy baby. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of fat rolls on that one. Um, but if the fairy tales were true, we'd have Paul to thank for some of the United States' most interesting topography. Legend has it that the Grand Canyon, formed by Paul mindlessly dragging his axe across the plain, while in New York, Paul tripped and landed on his hand carving the Finger Lakes. Yeah. Wouldn't that be I, cool if that's how everything was I know. formed? I, I was reading about Paul Bunyan and like this guy was just constantly tripping and <laughs> dropping stuff. And that's how most of this country was. Apparently Giants made. are clumsy. I mean, let's, that's, that's part of the lore. They're kind of clumsy. And yeah. Lore. There are so many natural wonders in lore attributed to Paul Bunyan. But here's the thing. These myths are all fascinating. They're fun. It's a, it's a fun way to think about our world and imagine how things were made. 
but it's not true. The thought of giants roaming the earth is is exciting, but it's just that it's human imagination, elaborate stories that we tell to teach or explain certain phenomenon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is fun to think about. Mm-hmm. But still, there are archaeological frauds who have tried to plant fake evidence to trick people into thinking giants were real and once walked our earth. Which conspiracies and hoaxes like this are also fun as long as nobody gets hurt. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like you said earlier, Jess, it's kind of fun to read about. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about a few right after a word from our sponsors. <laughs> 30 Morbid Minutes is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. We do great things when we're at our best. But when we're not at our best... We can get bogged down, feel overwhelmed, and generally not show up the way we want to. But working with a therapist can help you through those not your best times. So you can get closer to that best version of yourself. I have personally gone to therapy. I think I did about like three years of it. I don't go anymore, although it's been a year. I probably should go back because there's definitely things that have popped up. But um, it's literally the best thing I've ever done for myself. The best thing. It's just like a way to kind of unload everything that's in your head without burdening anybody in your life that you Mm -hmm. care about. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And finding new tips and tricks and ways of thinking to help you really Mm -hmm. understand what's going on in that old noggin of yours. You know, I, I really feel like when I'm actively working on things um, that have been hard in the past, like sticking up for myself or having difficult conversations that I'm able to move through those tough moments faster than when I'm just kind of out there on my own. Yeah, drifting with no one to guide you. Exactly. And that is what therapy's for, to be the wind in your boat. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's affordable and 100% online, so it's convenient too. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists anytime with no charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash 30MM to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 30MM. You know what makes winter a little easier? Bombas. Yeah, their socks are perfect for outdoor activities and also for being cozy at home. They're versatile. Every item is seamless, tagless, and ridiculously soft. That's because they use the softest materials like merino wool, pima cotton, and even cashmere. Cashmere. Ooh. Bombas make slippers that are soft on the outside and even softer on the inside. I, there's fuzzy Sherpa ones. Mm-hmm. Um, they also make t-shirts that are super soft and breathable. Yes, with that merino wool. Yes, they mm-hmm. even make temperature regulating clothing so you can feel more comfortable doing what you love most, whether you're a jogger, a skier, a snowboarder, or just a lover of the wintry outdoors in general. Mm-hmm. I run a lot and I have some of their running socks that are Ooh. great. I have some of their thinner dress socks that I wear with boots yes. that are also fantastic. And can I tell you something I like, Jess, that they do? Yes. A lot of their socks have a little L or R on the socks, depending if they're a left or right foot. And I really appreciate that. That is incredible. I'm literally wearing Bombas right now. And I did not see that. I need to use that because that is something that is always subconsciously in my brain of like, which 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 foot do I put this one on? Merely yeah. because I always feel like there's a subtle shape to them. You just never yes. really know. But this is so great. Yeah. And Big bonus here for every item purchased, Bombas donates one to someone experiencing homelessness. Yep. Socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the most requested items in homeless shelters. Go to bombas.com slash 30mm and use code 30mm for 20% off your first purchase. 
That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash 30MM and use code 30MM30MM at checkout. So back to the show, we are talking about scam artists who have tricked the general public into thinking that bones of ancient giants have been discovered and that they once walked the earth. And one of the most notorious cases is the Cardiff giant. On October 16th, 1869, in the town of Cardiff, New York, two unsuspecting men were digging a well in the back of a barn. They were hired to do this job, and while they were doing it, they uncovered a 10-foot-tall, 3,000-pound mummy of a petrified man. Yes. What was quickly dubbed the Cardiff Giant by the media was actually a full-on hoax planned out by George Hull, mastermind and distant relative of the barn's owner, William Stubb Newell. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. So, so I saw yeah. I'm connecting the dots here. I am an investigator. I'm connecting. So how did George do it and why? Well, uh, he was kind of a jerk, <laughs> but he was also an atheist and a skeptic. And during a business trip, George got into a pretty hot and heavy theological debate with a revivalist preacher who took the Bible scripture very literally. Yes, specifically a passage from Genesis speaking about giants on earth. Yeah. And this kind of lit a light bulb above George's head where he thought, oh, I can scam believers and make money. Uh, sure. Why yeah. not? Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Over two years, George spent almost 3000 on bringing this so-called giant to life. He secured a five-ton block of gypsum, shipped the slab to Chicago, where it was sculpted by workers who agreed to this deal as long as they were paid off, all while George himself actually modeled for the sculpture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in the end, the statue took the form of a naked man lying on his back with his right arm across his stomach and then one leg crossed over the other and kind of this like little smile on his face. The workers even added some final touches to make it look eroded and aged and like, voila, there, there it was, the petrified man, the Cardiff giant. Next step, bury it. Mm -hmm. In November 1868, George and Newell buried it. Uh, by the barn and they kind of even like wedged it under roots to make it look like it had been there a long time and then they just sort of waited and it was about a year later that Newell his relative that owned the farm had these guys come and do this fake work on the well to unearth it and that was when they just you know came to the light and became this big discovery and they were showing the giant to the world once unearthed it did not take long before the word spread people we're traveling from all over, uh, arriving left and right to see this new, um, quote, discovery. And they readily bought into the lie, partially because Cardiff was already known for its fossil deposits. So they were like, oh, this makes sense. Yeah. 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 Like they kind of thought through all these steps. Yeah. As uh, smart. Yes. Once the story made it to the Syracuse Daily Standard, boom, it was off to the races. And that's when they really started trying to make this a spectacle and charge folks. So they covered the site with a tent to make it look like it was just like a legit archaeological mm -hmm. site. And they started charging 50 cents a pop for people to come and see it. Yeah. And about like 2,500 people came to see it before George came back and decided it was time to uh, cash in for $30,000. But as time passed and more eyes laid upon this new, again, discovery quotes, doubt and speculation crept in. Yeah, it seemed like people were talking about and seeing odd things happening between George and Newell. 
Um, you know, maybe they were bickering or something just didn't seem right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't long before this whole ruse finally crumbled in 1870 when newspapers printed the confessions of the Chicago sculptors who who made the fake giant mummy. Those yeah. those sculptors are like, yeah, you can pay me. I'll keep my mouth shut. Nope. <laughs> no, they cats out the bag. Uh, what's re- what's really funny to me is that P.T. Barnum, we, we know as kind of the infamous circus master, mm-hmm. actually tried to buy the phony giant from them to add to his circus tour, but George and Newell wouldn't sell it to him. So P.T. Barnum made his own fake Cardiff giant mm. and they tried to sue him over it. Seems like Which, a circus thing to do. <laughs> yeah, but it's it, like it's so bold that they are scammers and they made this fake thing and then they're suing the guy that mm-hmm. made the, th- the the fake thing of their fake thing. I would be like, I am so scared that I'm going to be found out as a fraud that I'm not even going to touch this. Yeah. So yeah. bold. Today, I mean, if you still want to if you want to see this Cardiff Giant, it actually is at the uh, Farmer's Museum in Cooperstown, New York, if you are curious. Believe it or yeah, not. Yeah, please tweet at us or message yeah, us, us if, pics you, if, you see if you've it. seen it. I want to know. But it's just not as cool knowing it's fake. Yeah. (laughs) Again, this all occurred about 145 years ago, and this is before social media, the internet. So it was harder for people to kind of debunk stuff back then. But even still, in our current information age, hoaxes can get the better of people. Yes. In 2002, an illustrator from Canada who goes by the screen name Iron Kite unintentionally created a hoax that got global attention. It started as an art submission for this contest called Archaeological Anomalies. And Iron Kite, for his submission, he took an aerial photo that already existed of Hyde Park, New York. There was this mastodon excavation happening there. And he took this real photo and then doctored it And over the Mastodon's remains, he superimposed a giant human skeleton. In the manipulated photo, it looks like an archaeologist is digging up a giant human skeleton. And the archaeologist is about like the size of the giant's whole skull. It's really well done, though. And it looks really, really real. And so real that Iron Kite won third place in this contest, Uh, which is great for him. But he could have never predicted how infamous that doctored image would eventually become. Yeah, you're old. Um, do you remember this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I don't remember this happening, but I, I feel like I, there's a real chance I could have seen it. No, know, for sure. But I, I would have been fascinated by it at the time. Probably would have bought it too. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I saw this, but I don't think I saw it in 2004 because I think it got picked up again in 2000. Seven. It, these these kind of pictures circulate every so often, um, and just how the internet works, you know. So I think at one time I feel like I remember seeing something like this and being like, "What the fuck?" and, and yeah. probably believing it, knowing the person I am. Um, but around uh, 2004, Iron Kite's image started circulating online, gaining traction. People all around the world started blogging about it and sharing the image via email because they thought it was real. Yeah, you know, it was one of those chain emails where it's got like a ton of asterisks <laughs> and then all kinds of like, if you don't share this email of the of the giant, you will have bad luck for 20 years. You'll die in 20 seconds. Yeah. That's stuff like that. And like it, the time, the clock is ticking. So you got to send mm-hmm. it, you know? Yeah. Even like reputable websites, you know, had headlines, giant skeleton unearthed. Everybody bought it. Yeah. Like National Geographic was pl- was flooded with emails from all around the world asking if this was true. More and more media outlets picked up the story, story, uh, causing even more confusion, questions, and misinformation to spread. And in the words of Iron Kite, the artist himself, 
Sometimes people seem so desperate to believe in something they lie to themselves or exaggerate in order to make their own argument stronger. Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. we know it? So in 2007, India's Hindu Voice Monthly had a similar debacle, mistakenly claiming that the doctored photos of a giant human skeleton in India were real. Yeah, their report read, Recent exploration activity in the northern region of India uncovered skeletal remains of a human of phenomenal size. The archaeological team also claimed to have found tablets with carvings describing a giant who belonged to the race of the superhumans mentioned in the Mahabharata, a Hindu epic poem from about 200 BC. Which, fun fact here, relatives of Kumbakuran, in fact, who we mentioned earlier, remember the sleeping giant that got awoken every six months? and went to bed. Yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> these are, you know, his, his kin. That are mentioned in this text. Um, And per the report and the writings of the Mahabharata, this race of giants were very tall, big, and very powerful. Like they could put their arms around a tree trunk and pull it up from its roots. Yeah. But again, this was all fake. The editor from the Hindu Voice came out and admitted that the photos were doctored and the reports were falsified. But like in 2004... The news had caught on to other blogs and sites as well, and the damage of just spreading misinformation was done. It was it was out there, and it had just spread like wildfire. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely a problem. Um, in the internet age, sometimes all people see is like the big, flashy headline, the fun headline, so to speak, that's delivering the misinformation. We want to get that headline that tells us giants are real, magic is real, so that gets shared a whole bunch But Mm -hmm. then we missed the follow-up months or years later that debunks this in a very logical, scientific way that's not as exciting or sexy, you know, or cool or magical. All that being said, there's evidence of early hominids like the Gigantopithecus, hope I pronounced that right, a now extinct, extinct genus of ape that stood upright, reaching heights of 10 feet tall. Mm -hmm. And scientists kind of debate whether these fellows were actually bipedal And the recreations we see of them, they look more ape than human, but they're kind of in terms of like human ancestors, genetic um, relatives, like they are the closest that we've Mm -hmm. gotten to this like mythical type of giant, even though they they do look more like monkeys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So no, while there is no proof or evidence as of right now uh, that giant humans roam the <laughs> earth, holding out. we're holding out, <laughs> holding out. You never know. Um, yeah, that there's like no proof or evidence that giants, you know, ever roamed the earth in the way that we that they are portrayed throughout fairy and folk tales, religion and mythology. There are actual people, living and dead, who have reached heights uncommon to most of us. Yes, gigantism, as it actually occurs in humans, naturally, generally happens due to an anomaly of the pituitary gland, which produces excess growth hormone. And this is very rare, and it starts to unfold during childhood or puberty. Mm -hmm. It's more than often hereditary. Mm -hmm. And then there's acromegaly, which normally occurs in adulthood sometime after the age of 30 and is usually caused by a non-cancerous tumor in the pituitary gland called an adenoma. And this is, again, a situation where a person's body is flooded by too much growth hormone. It's usually not fatal, the condition itself, but it can cause other heart problems and duress on the body. The professional wrestler Andre the Giant, who we all know, was born with acromegaly, and build at the height of seven feet and four inches. 
he was he was very large and uh, beca- became a problem for him in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time he was 12, Andre was six foot f- three. And there are lots of famous stories about him drinking like 156 beers in one sitting. And he just drank barrels of beer to get drunk. And he needed the playwright Samuel Beckett, who was his neighbor, <laughs> like oh interestingly gosh. enough, waiting for Godot to drive him to school as a boy because he was too large at the age of, you know, 10 or whatever to ride on the bus. And I love reading stories about Andre the Giant because he really was the kind of gentle giant. Like the stories of him on the Princess Bride set are really sweet. And also really sad too, because from due to his size and his career wrestling, he had a lot of physical problems. And there's always that story where, um, you know, he, he's supposed to catch and carry Robin Wright if mm-hmm. you remember that in the mm-hmm. movie, Jess. Yep. But they had her on a harness because he had so many physical problems and back problems that even though he was supposed to be this big, strong, giant guy, he couldn't even carry this this small woman. Um, so, like, so yeah. sad. Yeah. And it's so interesting because, like, even my partner, who is six foot four, who's definitely not anywhere near, you know, that tall, um, he he has a lot of lower back issues that like over the weekend we were we were walking around a lot for like multiple hours on our feet and his lower back just started hurting and was just like this is one of the things i hate about being so tall is just mm-hmm. lots of just aches and pains and just you know yeah and probably know. also from carrying your ass around that's true i am not 100 pounds i'm oh i didn't mean it like that no, i, I know bet. <laughs> Robin Wright was very tiny in that movie, though. <laughs> I just but. meant, like, why is he carrying this grown woman so much? Well, because I asked him to. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but yeah. there's only one known and documented person in history due to acromegaly was both a dwarf and a giant at different times in his life. Austrian-born Adam Rainier was four feet and a quarter inches tall at 18 in 1917. And then this pituitary adenoma developed in his brain and it caused him to grow to seven feet and two inches by 1932. And it was a huge, huge cost to his health, um, which is I think he lived out the rest of his life in like an an old age home um, because he just developed so many health issues. But that's wild to think of, like, just going from one extreme to another. I don't know how. I what? Would, yeah, I just don't. I can't and comprehend how. That I think he like he couldn't serve in the First World War because of his his small stature. Um, but yeah, yeah. what a hard life that yeah. must be. Yeah. yeah, the tallest human on record. I'm sure you're probably wondering this whole time is Robert Pershing Wadlow, who lived during the early to mid 20th century. Robert experienced hypertrophy of his pituitary gland, which results in abnormal levels of human growth hormone. And his unusual size garnered him a lot of attention. But like Adam Rainier, it came with a lot of complications. Yes, a ton of unfortunate uh, complications. Robert dealt with foot problems his entire life. Once at age 14, he slipped in the street while playing. Um, just, you know, at age yeah. 17, he spent eight weeks in the hospital due to an infection on his foot caused by an arch support foot pad. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's the, it was the kind of thing where he really couldn't feel everything that was going on mm-hmm. in his feet. And his foot ailments were a consequence of his extreme height. Uh, nicknamed the Giant of Illinois, Robert, at his full height, reached a towering 8 foot 11.1 inches. Yep. 
That's that's pretty tall. Uh, not quite 10 feet, but hey, it's it's pretty tall. Um, he also had the world's largest feet, measuring at a size of 37 AA shoe size. So for reference, a, a men's shoes shoe size is like 12 is an 11 and a quarter inches long, whereas 37 AA is 18.5 inches long, if that Ugh. makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, like we were saying, he had all these issues with his feet because he... He was supporting this massive frame, right? 439 pounds. And he didn't have sensation in his feet. He couldn't walk without leg braces. And he couldn't tell because he didn't have feeling if he had like blisters or ulcers going on. I know. Yeah. And he had to take a sponsorship job touring with the International Shoe Company so he could get free shoes. Otherwise, he'd spend like 100 dollars for a custom pair which works out to be about two thousand in current inflation terms Ugh. uh and during one of these tours he was hospitalized because he developed an infection on his ankle from his new iron leg braces and that infection festered and escalated and he also had an autoimmune disease that didn't help and he just got very 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 sick uh and to the point where he passed away in his sleep on july 4th 1940 and the unfortunate part about all that is because, like, he didn't have a lot of feeling in his legs. His infection just kind of took, you know, yeah. a mind of its own because he couldn't feel it for a while. Yeah. He, like, to not know that you have a problem. Is, yeah. Yeah. But with a coffin measuring 10 feet, 9 inches long, it took 12 pallbearers and eight additional helping hands to lay Robert to rest. And there are so many others like Robert who, be it from pituitary, gigantism, or acromegaly, um, will grow to extreme heights in their lives. Anne Haining Bates was a Canadian circus performer who stood at a record 7 feet 11 inches, about a foot shorter than Robert. She died suddenly from heart failure at age 41. She was the tallest woman to have ever lived. Mm -hmm. and, and gigantism, as we've been talking about it, it's extremely rare. There are only a handful of cases diagnosed per million people annually. It's a sad reality, but individuals experiencing the effects of gigantism, people like Robert and Anna, who have been in the in the past treated like spectacles, sideshows and freaks paraded around for the public to gawk at. It's, it's sad. But one thing that is good is that I believe according to science now, I don't think this is something that could ever get out of hand the way that it did for people like Robert and Anna. They would have caught this stuff. They can catch this stuff a lot sooner and treat it. Yeah, it's it's a little little similar kind of because I think it deals with, you know, growth hormones and, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. premature development. But I read this story recently about this man who when he, he started going through puberty at the age of two. Yeah. And it was it was genetic, like it happened to his father, his grandfather, um, like developing pubic hair as a toddler, that sort of thing, going through his terrible teens while he should have been going through his terrible twos mm. sort of thing. Now as a 35 year old man, he lives a completely like normal average life, but he just had this really accelerated transformation as a mm -hmm. child development. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about gene therapy on this podcast before mm -hmm. and he actually was the first in his family that had the option to, when he and his wife were having kids go and isolate um, embryos that had this gene and then be like, well, we're just going to not go with those. We're going to yeah. go with. Yeah. And I think he and his wife ultimately chose not to do that. They were like, we'll just risk it. Yeah. But that is something that I was thinking about with this episode was when we talked um, 
in our cloning episode about a lot of gene therapy, mm-hmm. that this is definitely something that I could imagine that would come into play for gigantism and mm-hmm. or these pituitary disorders. Yeah, thankfully, because mm-hmm. that's I. It is like we said. It's it's very sad what Robert and Anna and and Andre the giant went through as well. Oh yeah, we didn't even really get into like the full extent of people with gigantism being treated as circus freaks or exploited or, you know, yes. that dark history. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's that's our episode on giants, gigantism, mm-hmm. all that. So I think in the end, if they if they saw it back in, you know, Greek mythology, the early times, biblical times, whatever, if maybe they did see anything and this stuff was real, not real, whatever, maybe they just saw a person with uh, gigantism. They you know, just saw a big could've boy. Been, could have been a big boy. Yeah, big, <laughs> big boy, boy in the let distance. their imagination run wild. Or maybe, yeah. like today, people might see us and they go, look at those giants. But they mean giants of podcasting. They mean it in the metaphorical sense. Giant, like giant Which, brains. I have a giant, giant brain, brain. Giant giant views. Giant, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Giants of podcasting is how we're known. So I could see I could see how that could happen. I understand yeah. it. Yeah, it happens to us every day. It does. Yeah. What are we talking yeah. about uh, next week, Elise? Ooh, I, I think we are covering ECT, mm-hmm. electroconvulsive therapy, I think. Mm-hmm. I think I believe so. And if not, it's the week after. But you'll figure it out soon. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be a fun episode regardless. So, yeah, I'm excited for that yeah, one. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jess, um, my fellow giant, have a bad bye for now. Bye bye, Elise. <laughs> <laughs>